Welcome in, everyone, to another edition of Coach Time on the Believe Network. I'm your host, John Lyons, and I'm very excited today because we have with us NFL draft analyst Thor Nystrom of Fantasy Pros. He is an expert on everything college football and NFL draft. Thor, welcome into the program. Thanks for having me, John. And I want to jump right into it, Thor, because you come out with every year what's called the Thor 500, not to be confused with the Daytona or Indy 500. <laughs> Could you just give us a brief summary of, of what that is and how it came to be? Yeah, it's uh, so a big board. But like when I was a kid, I would <laughs> it's funny, like we, you know, we would go on like spring break vacation with my family and in the kiosk, you know, like Hudson News or whatever, like there's all the different draft magazines. And I would I would always leap through until I could find the one that had the longest big board listed because I wanted to cross the names off as the draft was going. So that's the one that I'd have my parents buy for me or whatever. But like, you know, most of them were like 50 players or 100 players deep or whatever. And I like when I was a kid, I was one of one that like would go through the fall draft and maybe even have a go deep enough where it would include the UDFAs. And so once I had this job, a job that I always wanted, I at first I did my first year, I did a 400 player big board. But the next year I was like, well, why don't I extend that to 500 and then include my other greatest love, which is player comps. Like when I was just a fan of this stuff, I love when people put like the magazines or like the writers will put the player comps for the prospects. So I was like, well, why not just do a 500 player board where you can cross off as you go, but also put the player comp in. So, you know, someone at home that doesn't have like, you know, my Saturdays in the fall and my Friday nights, Thursday nights, Tuesday night action when that starts. Like those are devoted to watching college football, but not everybody has this job that I do, but like, you're going to come up with opinions of this guy plays like this, et cetera, et cetera. Like putting that in there as well. So that that's what I ended up doing. And that's the Thor 500. Awesome. And trust me, the Thor 500 and all your analysis is well worth the read every Appreciate single it. year. And Thor, I want to jump right into the draft this year. We saw Bryce Young go number one, CJ Stroud number two. What was your feeling on that? Do you feel like Bryce Young was the best QB? And also, where do you think is his and Stroud's ceilings in the NFL? Yeah, I, I for sure do. Yeah, the, the Panthers made the right call at one, and the Texans ultimately made the, the right call at two. The Texans question, it's more on the side of, was it worth giving up all that to move up to get Will Anderson? And like, it was like, D'Amico Ryans is like, we're coming out of this draft with Will Anderson. So they had to figure out that trade with Arizona, whatnot, but they end up, I thought they made the right decision as far as the quarterback goes um, with Stroud with, you know, as far as Bryce Young, I think he's, he's some mashup of Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson. Like the Russell Wilson part of it is more the using the legs in the pocket to buy more time. He wants to throw, but like, his like physical attributes to me are more like Kyler Murray and like, they're both like these like quick twitch guys, like twitchy both in their lower half, but also their upper half. Like I just think of Bryce young is like made of rubber bands, you know? And so like, you know, like he, he had this sprained AC joint last year and he only missed one game of, of his throwing shoulder, which generally is a multi-week uh, injury for most FBS quarterbacks. But like he came back quick. Cause it's like, he made a rubber bands. Like he's like Wolverine. So like, that's why, you know, part why I was, you know, less, I don't know. I didn't bake quite in it as much as maybe some other people did about like the durability thing. Cause he played at the highest level of college football. Didn't have a problem with that. Um, and then as far as CJ Stroud goes, I thought some of the nitpicks were unfair, you know, as far as the S2 stuff, like we seen that kid go through the progressions in college and make the correct decisions over and over and over again. Um, and particularly he gave proof of concept of it against the nastiest defense in college football in the first round of the college football playoff against Georgia, where he was constantly under duress and he used his legs 
to solve problems, which is something that hadn't, you know, we hadn't seen quite as much earlier on, especially that season. Uh, and so, you know, the ability to sort of like evade the, the free rushers, get outside the pocket, still be looking downfield, cock ready to throw, make the right decision when you're on the move, but also put the ball on the money. We, we seen that in that game. I mean, like the rest of the career speaks for itself. So CJ Stroud was number two on my overall board and my quarterback board, but both of them with a bullet. So like, I, I thought both those teams made the right call. And you mentioned the Will Anderson move to go up and for the Texans to go up to number three to get Anderson. And normally a move like that, I would not be a fan of, you know, you draft back to back, you give up a bunch of capital, but the Texans have a little bit of a unique position that they have all this capital from the Deshaun Watson trade. So even though they gave up a lot, they still retain some of that capital. I'm curious if, do you see it the same way or do you feel like, Hey, they, they paid too much here to go up as good as Will Anderson. They paid too much here to go up number three. Yeah. I don't know if I would have given up Houston's first round pick next year. Cause that class, like with Caleb Williams and Drake may at the t- specifically Caleb Williams, like, if Houston ends up being the worst team in the NFL next year, that pick is going to be worth a metric ton. And like, I, you know, Arizona, if they still have Kyler and they're going to roll forward with Kyler, that's fine. You can still trade that for the Brinks truck. Like Caleb Williams is going to be the first pick in the next draft. It's, yeah. it's just like his odds are ridiculous for that. But like, like, you know, again, like that slot, or if you're in the top three and it's a slot for Drake May, whatnot. Like, I don't, I just don't know if I could have gotten to giving up all that for that slot and i you know again like i know that there was like a division in that room or in that building of like there was some people that were kind of out on stroud there was obviously that he had some fans there but it seemed like from D'Amico ryan's and some of those different fellas that it was like we got to have will anderson so it's like will anderson you know like uh what was it that Sonny Weaver put on the uh, the thing with, with Mac? It was like, uh, Will Anderson, no matter what. Yeah. Like, you know, it was like sort of their ethos coming in. And again, like both those guys, I'm cool with them in the slots that they went. Absolutely. Uh, especially Stroud. Like, I, you know, I thought that was the right call. But like, if it's like, you know, CJ Stroud and we get to keep our first round pick next year and the rest of it that they gave up to get that Anderson picker, Anderson, that's where it became a little bit tougher for me. Um like, yeah, I could have gone either way on that, but hopefully for the Texans, they're better next year than I think they're going to be. Cause if not, the Cardinals are sitting on this King's ransom of equity and a class that should be better than this one. And for the rest of the top 10, was there a pick or two that really stood out to you that you love the fit or that surprised you in that uh, rest of the top 10? Um, as far as the top 10, like I, I would quibble a little bit with, with Bijan, just a running back at, sure. at number eight, item 17 on my board. The other one, uh, you know, but of course he's, you know, he's like, you know, an amazing prospect at right. that position. So like, you know, I, and we know now that Detroit was going to take a running back. So like if, if Atlanta didn't, Bijan wasn't going to last very much longer. Probably the bigger one for me would have been Darnell Wright at number 10, just because I don't think he can play left tackle in the NFL. So he wouldn't have been my selection there. But then again, you know, I item 16th on my board. The real reaches started a little bit after that, starting with Jameer Gibbs. But in the top 10, you can quibble a little bit, but not too much. And I want to ask you, outside the top 10, Christian Gonzalez at 17, I thought you could make the case that he was either the best corner or close second behind Witherspoon in the draft. He falls to 17. What do you make of him going A at 17 and B is fit with the Patriots? Yeah, it's funny. Like, 
everyone was so high on him during the the process and i seen the same thing they did as far as the athletic profile the frame uh how little separation he gives up everything like that we were seeing the exact same thing but the thing that troubled me about christian gonzalez it's the picadillo of cornerbacks that i i don't like because generally it doesn't change it's that he doesn't snap his head around when the ball's coming it just he's not natural at it. It's it's just not like like that for some guys, it's easy to get the head around, make the play on the ball. It is not for Christian Gonzalez for whatever reason. But like those are cornerbacks that you can beat them despite their their physical advantages. For that reason, I was lower on him than just about anybody else. I had him as the cornerback three on my board. I had him 14th overall. But it's funny, like I was sort of out on a limb with that. And then the NFL pushed him down even just a little bit more to the 17 slot. I'm not going to argue with that. Getting Christian Gonzalez at 17, like maybe the head snapping around thing, maybe they can teach him. They have a very good defensive staff. I don't know how you can do that, but they get him in the room, try to do that. The rest of the stuff is there. So if he ever learns how to do that, that instincts with the ball in the air and then making the play on it, he's going to be a stud. But, you know, if he never does, He's just going to be like a solid starter, despite the physical attributes or whatever. But like, you know, I mean, like his athleticism and the movement, everything like that, and the cover skills, it imbues like a sort of floor. Like he's not going to like outright bust and not be playable. But like this, you know, it's that thing where it's going to depend on whether he can become that guy that people maybe thought or whether he's just sort of like a solid NFL starter, but nothing better. And you're a Minnesota Vikings analyst in addition to working for Fantasy Pro. So I want to jump into their draft and we can expand this beyond the first round. They get Jordan Addison in the first round. I want to get your thoughts. First of all, on his fit there, this is a team that has Justin Jefferson. It has Dalvin Cook. So maybe from the outside view, you think, oh, maybe they don't need skill help, but they go get Addison. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that. And then if you could expand a little bit on, on the rest of their draft. Yeah, I thought, you know, like we knew that they were going to take, you know, they need the wide receiver too. They needed a cornerback, like their cornerback room is like the Texans as wide receiver room. Like it's really bad, but like I agreed with their three-dimensional chess decision with the first round pick, even though there was guys in the cornerback class that I had rated higher than Jordan Addison, but just contextually three receivers go literally in the three slots ahead of you. Yeah. And you know, the team picking, what was it, two behind them, the Giants, you know, they're going to take a wide receiver if one of those four guys is there. So, like, it's like, and then you know that the wide receiver class drops off a shelf after that. So, it's like, can we defer this to day two? You don't have a second round pick if you're the Vikings. That was, that was sent out in the TJ Hawkinson trade. So, it's like, if we, if we take a cornerback here, and maybe even a cornerback was higher on their board than Jordan Addison, but if we take him over Jordan Addison, we get to late round three what receivers are going to be there. It turns out like it would have been like A.T. Perry, right? Like, because he can't take a pure slot. The Vikings signed Josh Oliver. They already have T.J. Hawkinson. You're going with the 12 personnel offense. You needed someone on the boundary on the other side that could beat single coverage. Maybe A.T. Perry, like, eventually turns into a solid wide receiver, too. You can't play him there next year. So Jordan Edison, you absolutely can. And then on day two, you know, you get to their round three pick. They they love Makai Blackman, and I'm cool with that. Like, I thought he was a pretty good value where they ended up getting him, specifically because they were able to trade down. Like, they like Makai Blackman. They say they would have taken him at the earlier pick. I I believe them. And then they ended up getting two extra picks from the 49ers, moving down to the last pick of the third round. They take Makai Blackman there. 
I happen to think Makai Blackman's going to start from day one for the Vikings. He's a perfect fit for Brian Flores. So the, those two picks in conjunction, contextually, I agreed with them because it's like it's those two guys or, you know, Joey Porter and uh, A.T. Perry. So, like, I, I prefer the two USC kids that they ended up getting. My my problem with that class, it was more what happened on day three. I, I thought they reached for some guys uh, on some hopes and some prayers. But, like, you know, early on, I, I agreed with what they were doing. You mentioned Joey Porter Jr. He goes to the Steelers in Pittsburgh, to me, had a very interesting top 40. They trade up to 14. They get the tackle of the future. And then they get Porter Jr. early in the second round. What would you make of those two picks in their draft overall as well? The Steelers annihilated it this year. I, I grade on a curve my NFL draft grades. You know, I, I I just could never do it with, like, as far as, like, you know, every team gets an A or a B. So how I do it is I – literally grade them on a curve so like every year i have two a pluses i have two f's and then every grade in between that it is evenly distributed so you know what my actual take is on each of the classes coming out the pittsburgh steelers got one of my a pluses this year i thought they they just absolutely destroyed it like both you know in terms of when it was time to get aggressive for a specific position they did and they sensed the room and they went and did it like the the broderick jones that was really inspired because the the offensive offensive tackle class dropped off a shelf after him. He had to get above the Jets, whatever. So like you went out and did that, and then the fact that the NFL allowed him to have Joey Porter Jr. with the first pick in the second round, I thought that was crazy. Um, but like he accept the gift that the universe has given you. Really cool symmetry, obviously going to the organization that his dad played for. But like beyond that, like Joey Porter is a fab. Joey Porter Jr. is a fabulous cornerback talent. Like last year, the last uh, he plays 10 games, teams just stopped throwing at him. Like, cause he just couldn't do anything. Like Charlie Jones at Purdue was ripping up every team after the opener, but he couldn't get it even off the line against Joey Porter. Um, and then after that, Joey Porter was just shutting out the lights on one side of the field. Uh, he, Joey Porter has freakish length, number four in combine history going back to the 90s as far as the mock draft mock draftable database uh some year in the 90s i'm forgetting the exact year or whatever but you look at every single cornerback their wingspan since then joey porter is top four he would have been top three but julius brents actually is number one in that list in this class so pushing him down to four but like he, he's got the length he got the athleticism the one question you have about him it's the agility maybe isn't elite right but like the length and the ability to funnel the receiver wherever you want off the line which is what it does he gets you towards the sidelines and then he just starts cutting off your oxygen from there you just don't have any space to do anything and that that takes any possibility of a throwing window away from the quarterback that's what he does and he makes plays on the ball like christian gonzalez does not and Joey Porter Jr., a blue chip talent, added to a Steelers defense that has several blue chippers already in a division that has the Cincinnati offense. It has Lamar Jackson, it has Deshaun Watson. So the more defensive pieces they can stockpile, the better. I want to, before we let you go, Thor, jump into day three a little bit. And I thought there was some interesting picks, like Dewan Jones last, lasting to pick 111. I thought we saw multiple your kickers, punters taken on day three would you make this is a general question but day three uh it, can you give me two or three fits of players and teams on day three that really stood out to you that you think are going to be fruitful moving forward yeah i i agree with you on dewan jones and a local kid for the browns as well so so i was big another offensive lineman that went right after that that was a steal was chandler zavala uh from nc state and he gets to play with his college teammate aquanu there and those guys were dominant when they played together at nc state it was just 
they would just crater on the side of the offensive line. Clark Phillips was a steal for Atlanta. Like the physical measurables and the athletic profile, a little bit lower. That's what pushed him to day three. But that kid's going to be a steal. He was a stud throughout his college career, reigning Pac-12 player of the year and unanimous All-American. Uh, Adebowale, I was surprised it went like he fell to day three. Like guys with that physical package never fall to day. That, that, that athleticism, they never fall there. So the Colts being able to get him at 110, I, I like that's like you just see, right? Like, I don't know if, if that kid's going to be an edge in the NFL or if he's going to be a three technique, but like he has freakish length. I know he's a little bit on the smaller side for a three technique, but he obviously has the athleticism as well. Um, those would be some guys that I would toss out. I also like the like another pick by the Browns in uh, round four. I really like the Isaiah McGuire pick. Uh, he can set the edge and he's a power end. But, like, he tests it way better than anybody thought. And, like, even without that athletic testing, like, if you just take that out, I like, I, I thought he would have gone around that point in the draft. It's like the NFL didn't factor in that he had also tested like a freak athlete. So I, I was surprised that he was there as well. Last question for you. A pick that I found interesting on day three, Kayshawn Butte of LSU going to the New England Patriots. This is a receiver that in 2020 was one of the best freshmen in the nation. He did have two ankle surgeries in 2021 and, and heading into the 2022 season. Production dipped a little. There's some questions about him. What do you make of his fit in New England and his pro potential? Well, as well, I mean, as far as the potential, like if he can turn back the clock to earlier in his college career, like like at that point, I was confident him to step on Diggs, right? Like the route running was there, the explosion was there, like he was smooth with the ball skills, stuff like that, and he could run after the catch. Uh lot like what's happened over the last year plus, uh, that's where all the questions are. You mentioned the the ankle surgeries he's had uh last year was not good both in terms of like his movement on the field. He also seemed to be mentally checked out enough so that we were all making fun of him, like during the FSU game on the Monday night, the opener of like, this dude seems like he wants to quit the team now. Then he erased all this, the LSU uh, illusions on his social media right after that. Didn't end up transferring out, but he was checked out the rest of the season. Clearly he was checked out. So it's like, and then he goes in the pre-draft process and he tested horribly and, like, I don't know if that was an indication that his athleticism was not as good as we thought or maybe after the surgeries that it, that it had depreciated to that point or if he's just not a hard worker that understood that, like, the NFL Combine is your job interview. Either way, that is a major red flag. So it wasn't a surprise that he got knocked down. I knew a team was going to take a flyer on him. Hopefully Bill Belichick and that whole staff, they can get through to that kid. He clearly had talent. Is that still there? We'll have to see. Does he still want it? Even if it is, that is another question. But like, I mean, this is, this is an ideal scenario for Keishon Butte at least because the Patriots clearly need receiving help. So like if he can get his head screwed on straight and if that, like, I don't know what happened at the combine, but like if, if he can get over that ankle injury or if the athleticism ticks back up to what it was, whatnot, and he has the desire to do, to do that. Yeah. It's going to be a steal, but like, it's a total unknown at this point because what we've seen the last year plus was not good. Like it was indicative of a UDFA. I understand why the Patriots took him. I knew a team was going to take the flyer on him late, but that's all up in the air. But at the price point, you got him. It's just worth the squeeze, right? Like if he goes into camp and he's checked out and he doesn't care, he's not moving around well, you just cut him, 
right? Like the pick that you gave up, it wasn't too much. You can't just immediately move on from him. But if he, he if he shows something, whether it's at the, the you know the back end of the roster, whether you can sneak him onto the practice squad, whatever, then you do that and try to develop him. All right. He is Thor Nystrom of Fantasy Pros, not only the best name in the business, he also has the best draft guide in the business. Thor, thank you so much for taking the time. I hope to talk to you again soon. Appreciate you, brother. Please stay tuned for a quick word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back on Coach Time. Welcome back into Coach Time. I'm your host, John Lyons. Big thank you again to Thor Nystrom for joining us during that first segment. And now, unfortunately, I have to share some thoughts on the Boston Bruins and their epic collapse. What happened to the Boston Bruins on Sunday night at TD Garden was a collapse almost unparalleled in sports. We have a team in the Boston Bruins, 65 regular season wins, a record, points record for regular season standings. And yet in the first round, they take a three to one lead and they can't close it out. And not only can they not close it out, they have a four to three lead in the third period of game six, then a five to four lead in the third period of game six, and then a three to two lead with one minute to go in game seven. And they can't hold any of those leads. This really should have ended after game six, but let alone game seven. So what the Bruins did here is a collapse on the level of the 2004 Yankees. And look, I've been a Bruins fan my entire life. They've always disappointed me except for 2011. So I'm used to the Bruins getting to the playoffs and failing, but this is on another level. 2013, at least they made it to the cup and they lost to a Blackhawks team that was in the middle of a dynasty. 2014, Almost as bad as this, but at least they got to the second round. 2019, look, they lost. At least they made it to the Stanley Cup final. And I think deep down, a lot of Bruins fans knew that if that team had had to play Tampa Bay in the second round, they probably wouldn't have beat Tampa Bay. They weren't. They were good, but they weren't quite that good. But this team, with some of the best players in the NHL on multiple lines, for them to lose this game and lose this series – I think is not only a collapse on the level of the 2004 Yankees, this could very well haunt the Bruins for years to come. And I, I was on these airwaves a couple months ago at the trade deadline, very excited that the Bruins went all in with Garnet Hathaway and Dmitry Orlov and, and Tyler Bertuzzi. And when you go all in, there's certain expectations that you can at least get out of the freaking first round. I mean, are you kidding me? They can't get out of the first round. Like this is, this is the life of a Boston Bruins fan. You get excited. You think they're going to be good. They're good in the regular season. And then outside of 2011, they find a way to disappoint you. And it's so frustrating because this is a core with Bergeron and Marshan and Krejci. Those players are talented enough. They should have won more than one cup. And it's not just their fault, but this series, this is on the players more than anyone else. Jim Montgomery's not innocent either, but I am so frustrated. I'm so disappointed. This sucks. And this is a team, to me, that should be not only in the second round, they should have gone to the Stanley Cup final at minimum, and they really probably should have won it. And instead, they lose to a team that they were better than once again. This is going to haunt them for a while. It's going to haunt me as a Bruins fan for a while. There's no other way to label this than as a choke job, and it's on the level of the 2004 Yankees as the greatest choke job of all time. That's it for Coach Time today. Thank you very much again to Thor Nystrom for joining us. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.